Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to welcome in any of our new listeners who haven't checked us out before. We're happy to have you here. For those of you who have been with us from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, for better or for worse. And we make no apologies for that regardless of the circumstances. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris if you so choose. Uh, joining me tonight from the mile high city of Denver, Colorado, by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, is Andrew Duan. Andrew, how are we holding up? Doing well. I can uh, fully assure you I wasn't the drunk fan that assaulted Dinger downtown the other day during the Rockies game. Uh, but yeah, doing well. So everyone out there, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, on YouTube as well, so you can catch daily videos. Uh, got, a look, got a lot of good content uh, on all different media platforms for you. Nice. And where can people find you on Twitter, Andrew? That's going to be at Andrew Dwan MLB. All one way. Nice. Awesome. Uh, and also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how's it going? Not too bad. Still up in my home state of Maine, uh, where I've been for, I think, a week exactly now, and uh, headed home this weekend, though. And uh, my normal baseball algorithms will be back in place, rather than catching a little bit here and there. Uh, Red Sox... Last place uh, again. We were last place after the Pittsburgh series. They have a record of five and eight. That's eight games back from the division leading Tampa Bay Rays, undefeated Tampa Bay Rays. If they win one more game, they own the all time record. So we'll see if it happens, but the Red Sox definitely contributed there. Yours truly picked a sweep uh, on the early week show. I couldn't couldn't find the Red Sox winning a game in there. Red Sox also tied for the fourth worst record in the American League. It's like a four-way tie, though, for what it's worth. So ugly series. I think we, uh, you know, most of us thought it would be. Cody, I think, had it a... Uh, a split uh, with his picks and Charlie uh, had the Red Sox winning one game in there. I think it was the sale game, but here we go. Yeah, it's, it was an ugly week and it's never fun having to go down to Tampa. Um, not only playing that team, which is off to just a red hot start, but having to play in that stadium in front of those fans, which believe me, having lived in Tampa for five years, I got to, be with those fans up close and personal. And those are not real baseball fans. That's not a real baseball city. They were absolutely pumping in crowd noise, but that's a side topic. Um, but yeah, like just never. Oh, and 14, something like that. We haven't won in the trop for a little while. I think it's yeah, it's been a while. It, I don't know if it's Owen 14, but it's, it's a bad record. The Red Sox do not do well at the trop, at least not recently. They used to kill it down there. Red Sox teams of the past would, go down there and rake up, you know, huge numbers. So I don't know, last couple of years, that place has been a little bit of a bugaboo for this team. And uh, this week was certainly no different. It was nasty. So Red Sox, unfortunately, get swept. As Terry said, they are finding themselves in last place. So you guys know the drill on the midweek show. We like to do our five reasons why. And once again, unfortunately, back-to-back -back weeks, we have to do 
five reasons why the Red Sox lost this series. So we're going to start at number five. So, Andrew, who do we got in the number five spot? So leading off this week is Yu Chang. Um, not a good season for him so far, to say the least. You know, he was on absolute fire during the WBC. He was one of the best players in the entire tournament. And then, you know, he had that week off, had visa issues, still made the team um, as the utility guy out of camp, and it has not gone well. Uh, I don't think he has a hit yet. Um, he got a walk today, which is, you know, gets his OBP to like 0.0001 or whatever it's at now. But, uh, yeah, it's been a rough go. And then he had a very questionable at bat late in the game, which we'll get a little bit more into uh as we go along, um, it was a bunt attempt that was <laughs> highly questionable. There's no reason that this Red Sox team should be bunting at any time. Um, but, yeah, they did it in the final inning, and it killed them. So, Yu Chang, I think his days are numbered. I don't know who's going to replace him. Unfortunately, they're going through a little bit of an injury bug right now, which has forced them to play. And hopefully, you know, this isn't going to last too much longer. The fact that Yu Chang is on this team is just utterly pathetic. He is O for the season. Um, there's nobody to call up. There's no right-handed bat you could call up. David Hamilton, lefty. Emmanuel Valdez, lefty. Um, Adalberto Mondesi, when he gets called up, and certainly would get playing time over him anyway, but that's a lefty. The dude is nothing but a warm body, and... Our right-handed depth is just pathetic. This has to be basically an all-time low for, for right-handed batters. When have we ever been this week in, in franchise history? You know, you've got Kike Hernandez, who sucks right now. Um, Justin Turner, who's kind of bouncing back, was 5 for 14 on the series. Not bad. Uh, drove in a couple runs, but after that, number three on your depth chart here is Rob Refsnyder, who has to bat, who has to bat third to fifth in in a in a position that in a part of the order that he never would. I mean, it's just pathetic how how shallow we are with right-handed bats. I could see that being a problem with left-handed bats in in years past, but it sucks and. We've got all these left-handers coming up. I had the Rays, uh, no, not Rays, the Angels matchups up here. Let's see, we're facing a lot of lefties here. Uh, Shohei, we got Detmers, Anderson, and Sandoval. Three lefties in a row, so you're going to have to have Chang in the lineup every day. You're going to have to have Ref Snyder out there. Uh, Dahlbeck is going to have to probably play against these guys. It's just pathetic where we are, and... And Chang is an automatic out every time he goes up there. It, it's surprising to me because, yeah, like watching Yu Chang uh, just rake for Chinese Taipei in the WBC, I thought, okay, wow, maybe this is another kind of found money situation, right? Kind of like what we thought Garrett Whitlock would be, where the guy that, you know, the, the Guardians gave up on, 26 years old, still hasn't really hit his prime yet, had a great WBC, and now he's getting a chance to get some playing time because of injuries. You thought that he would go in there and hit really well. He's been an absolute zero. Um, I don't know what he provides you at all. And 
this is a problem when your injury list is racked with right-handed hitters. You know, stories out. Duvall, I know that he's an outfielder, but it's forcing Kike to have to go back out into the outfield. So that's a problem. Uh, this is also a function of Mondesi not being ready. Mondesi's, you know, when he's healthy, he's a good switch hitting option off the bench. So you won't have to worry about platooning him. You know, he can hit both ways. Um, so it, his injury is hurting them as well. But boy, Yu Chang just talk about a guy who the WBC dust has worn off because he really does. He looks like just any other utility guy now. I mean, I, I would rather have a right-handed version of Brock Holt right now than Yu Chang because at least that guy's going to make some noise and, and get on base every once in a while. Um, Yu Chang looks overmatched at the major league level. So he might just be a 4A player who happened to have a really good WBC because maybe he had good matchups. Maybe he's going up against pitchers that also don't belong in the major leagues. But it, he was a total non-factor in this series. And um, I agree with Andrew. Like I, I think that he's just a guy that once guys get healthy, you're not going to see Yu Chang anywhere near the major league roster. Uh, and hopefully so because it's not working. So not a good series for him, but he certainly wasn't the only one. Um, we'll move on to number four on our list. And I'm going to go with Garrett Whitlock. And it's not just Garrett Whitlock himself, but it's the whole approach to the Garrett Whitlock situation. So he made his return to the team this week and he got absolutely tattooed, was just given up home run after home run and probably could have had a few more if the Rays didn't play in a dome and, you know, they were in an outdoor stadium and the wind was blowing just out. He may have given up four or five home runs. I mean, the Rays were teeing off on Garrett Whitlock. And I just, I've said it from the start and I'm one of the few people who I think has been on the stream, but like, I don't want Garrett Whitlock being a starter. I don't. And I get the appeal to it. I get that the Red Sox could use another quality starter. I get that he's, again, 26 years old, has a lot of upside if it can work. I just don't think it can work. I think Garrett Whitlock, because of all the injuries and all the setbacks that this guy has had, I think you have to settle with the fact that he's a reliever now. And that's not a bad thing because he's a really good reliever. He was dynamite out of the bullpen. And the Red Sox decide, hey, you know what? Let's try and push the envelope just a little too much. And let's force him to be a starter. Let's stretch him out again. And I know that he was a starter when he was with the Yankees and he was in their system. But keep in mind, you got Garrett Whitlock because the Yankees said, no thanks. They put him in the Rule 5 and they chose not to protect him. And I don't think the Yankees are a dumb organization. I know a lot of Red Sox fans want to label them as that, but they're not. They're not dumb. So they gave up on this guy. They had him in their system. He put up one of the best minor league seasons you'll ever see. If you go through and, and look at what he did in, I think it was uh, 2018, he, he was dynamite for them. And he got injured. He couldn't really stay healthy. He had a couple of setbacks with them. And the Yankees said, you know what? Put him in the Rule 5. Red Sox took him, and that was it. So I'm not telling you the guy's complete bust. I still like Garrett Whitlock a lot. I still think he has really good stuff. I just don't think he's a starter. Or at the very least, if you're going to force him to be a starter, you have to treat him the way that the Rays treat like a guy like McClanahan, where fifth inning, sixth inning, you're out. You're done. 
we're not letting you go a third time through the order. And the difference is McClanahan, the first time, two times through the order, will strike out 12 guys and not give up a run, and it'll be nasty. Whitlock is getting teed up. So I just I don't like that he's in the rotation. To me, it's just the Red Sox trying to excuse themselves from really paying for premium pitching or make a big trade for premium pitching. They're trying to force this guy into being into something that he's not. I would much rather see him in the bullpen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're committed to this course, and that scares me a little bit because I'm just not sure how it's going to work out. And this first start did not fill me with a lot of hope. So hope his next time out is good, but I'm not sure. Uh, Terry, what do you got on Whitlock? It's hard to disagree with you. Um, I guess my only reservation is, do I want Cutter Crawford in there instead? I mean, it's just another depth problem. We've had trash rotations for the last few years. We got away with it in, in 2021. But Whitlock gave up runs in every inning he pitched except the third. And, and then really, you know, the avalanche happens in the fifth inning. And he, it seems to me, and I've mentioned this over and over, uh, he seems to lose his composure a little bit. He just looks very uncomfortable out there on the mound. And I don't know that he really has the makeup to be a guy who makes 25 starts a year for, I don't know, 170, 180 innings. And I think he could be a ticking time bomb as far as his health goes. You know, could he end up on the injured list for an extended period of time? And one way to avoid that is to put him in the bullpen. You know, that he might get used more per week, but but the innings, uh, you know, and overall workload will be a lot lower. So um, it's a depth problem. I just, I don't think it really matters at this point. Andrew? Yeah, I've always wanted Whitlock as a starter, honestly. And, I mean, as far as first starts off of a long absence go, the Red Hot Rays probably – the last team he wanted to face at this point. Um, I thought he looked decent for when he wasn't getting hit. Obviously, you know, guys tend to get tuned up when they're first, first game back, especially him coming off the hip, but he was commanding the zone. He wasn't missing it too much. You know, he was actually getting guys to chase. So I think it's going to be a, an approach thing. Uh, he's going to have to work on it. Uh, there was a lot of positives and ne- and some negatives for me. I'm giving him at least 10 starts, though, before I start having the conversation of what is he. Because if he gives you four or five, I would say five innings out of, you know, the starting spot, who's to say a guy like James Paxton can't come in for four after that? Or Cutter Crawford, who I actually, I've really liked what I've seen out of him uh, this year. Can't piggyback on him. I think they can you know, patch things together during his starts to make a very viable uh, starting pitcher out of that spot. I, I just don't think it's necessarily time to call it quits on the potential he has as a starter, seeing that, you know, you have him locked up, so that's not an issue. It's not like you're worried about overusing him because honestly, 
I think it's more stress on his arm pitching three times in five days than it is on a more set schedule. And I, I actually think that's better for a guy coming off some of the issues he has. So uh, not really too concerned yet. Give it a few more times out before I'm starting to waver on the decision because we do know he is a stud in that back end of the bullpen. Another depth issue real quick. Brian Mata hit four consecutive batters. Daniel Bard style um, in Worcester uh, two nights ago. So, or maybe that was last night rather, but um, so it's just, what do you do? I mean, I mean, that's, they're trying to make him a star. He wants to be a starter right now. That's where they're working him out of right now. So I think, you know, he's not going full send on the pitches like we're seeing in spring trading that I'm not worried about whatsoever for a motto right now. I'm just saying, I mean, if Whitlock goes to the pen, now you have Crawford, um, who I, I mean, he hasn't worked so far. And I mean, even in one or two innings of relief, he got taken deep. Um, with hey, three innings, he led up a home run today, but today. he had a great start the other day. And in Worcester, you mean? Crawford? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. in Detroit. My bad, my bad. Yeah, he wrapped up that series. Nope, my bad. Um, but, I mean, I'm still a pessimist long-term uh, as far as starting goes. And then uh, you have Murphy and, and Walters now that Mata's looking more and more like the pen. So... I just I got a lot a lot of issues organizationally with the depth in in several areas. Yeah, and it's the only thing I would bring up is Whitlock's ERA as a starter is close to five at this point. Now, it, granted, he didn't make a ton of starts last year; it's only one start this year. But his bullpen ERA is like two something. I mean, he's he's proven he can do that. So I just wonder, like Andrew said, you're giving him. 10 starts. I think that's pretty fair. And I think at this point you kind of have to, if you're the Red Sox, because Paxson's not back yet. Bayo is on the way he's, you know, pretty close. So that's good, but you don't have anyone else beyond that. Uh, like you said, we were just talking about Brian Mata. He's clearly not ready. You don't want guys like Walter or Murphy making major league starts at this point. So you do have to give Whitlock some time, but I'm just curious to see what the team does if after, let's say, 10 starts, right, which should put you close to June, if Whitlock still is getting tuned up and the starter ER, you know, his ERA is still near five or maybe even over and he just doesn't have it, is the organization strong enough and willing to say, hey, you've got to go to the pen. This is it. Like, that's where you belong. Or are they going to force this? I, I think they would let him. I mean, he's got the financial security. So I, I don't think it's going to be that issue. That's what was going on with Daniel Barr. He wanted he wanted to be a starter so we get paid in arbitration and free agency. Whitlock's got that security, which, you know, a guy like how doesn't. So him bouncing around, I could see an issue. I think Whitlock would probably accept his fate since, you know, those ca- those checks are going to cash. Right. You brought up Bayo as well. Uh, his fastball apparently looked very good the other day, but there were some issues with his secondary stuff. So I think he's got what one more start at least, and then you know it'll be... I think he's doing one more, and then yeah. he's up. Yeah. Yeah. Tough schedule too for the next six weeks. So. Yep. Um, all right. So that'll bring us to number three on our list of. Five reasons why the Red Sox lost this series. So, Terry, that's on you. Who's number three? 
Tristan Casas has been ass. And it's not just in the Ray series. It's it's been all year. And if you're talking about first base in general, it's been for the last four years. So it's a black hole. There's uh, I don't know. I guess you could call up a Valdez if you want to get him in the lineup and send Casas down uh, to get his head on right. Then, you know, that might be an option. But Casas was 0 for 11 uh, in this series, struck out four times. Uh, he was, he's two for 19, uh, in the last two series. So a guy who's struggling epically, uh, last year only hit 197 in a short sample size, but his on base was 150 points higher than that. I think 160 actually. And, uh, so this is just a different guy who's struggling to find it. Uh, unfortunately we're, we're getting, we're going through a left-handed gauntlet here with starting pitching. It's just lefty every day. It seems like, so it's not, uh, you know, this, these circumstances aren't favorable long-term. I'm, I'm still somewhat of an optimist with Casas, but I think it's going to be a little while before, um, before they get him right. And, just first base. I, I don't know what you do. I, you could put Turner there, but then who's your DH? I, I, I mean, it's it, we're just a mess right now. <laughs> so Casas uh, uh, was a big problem for me this series. Andrew? Yeah, you know, I actually really liked his approach today with that 14-pitch walk. Uh, I thought he showed great composure there. His Babbitt was absolutely garbage. I think Red Sox stats posted it earlier. I think uh, it was like 112 or 120, which is ridiculous. Thought he made some decent contact. I mean, he's a rookie. You got to expect these bumps in the road with him. It just is what it is. The people that expected him to, you know, hit 35 home runs and things like that. That I mean, that was just ridiculous. I, I've been saying he's probably 25 home runs this year if you're lucky. And I don't know. I There's going to be growing pains. And unfortunately, you know, it's coming at a bad time. I, he's going to turn it around. You just got to let him go. Um, and honestly, you got to let him struggle against lefties because if you don't do it now, when's he going to learn? So it sucks, but – you know, rough stretch. They got to get him going. It's going to be what's best for him. We saw it out of Pedroia when he first came up his first year. He was absolutely atrocious. Fans wanted him out. You know, once he hits 150 at-bats, we saw what happened. Today's walk was actually his first walk in the last three series. Just that one. Yeah, and, you know, I agree with what Andrew said at the end there. He, Please don't bench him against the left-handed pitchers coming up because he's, he should be able to handle it. The way that, you know, his whole scouting report is this guy controls the strike zone and it doesn't matter if it's a righty or a lefty. So let him do that. Let him develop against, you know, admittedly some tough left-handed pitchers coming up. Reed Deppers is no joke. Um, you know, neither is Sandoval. So, you know, let him face those guys and develop. I, my problem with Cassis isn't so much him at the plate. I think the plate stuff will come. Defensively, he's kind of out to lunch sometimes. And there, there are times where, yeah, he'll catch a snagging line drive and he looks really sharp and that's great. But there are other times where, you know, I forget. I think it was the game on Wednesday 
he had a chance to turn a double play, right? He tagged the bag at first, smart move, and then he airmailed the throw to second. And Euclid tried to cover for him. Oh, he didn't really have a lane or whatever. It was a bad throw. It was a bad throw. He was completely offline. Then there was a play where Verdugo, you know, made a, a really nice grab and right. Franco was off the bag, had to go back and tag, and then went back home. Verdugo threw it to home, and it wasn't just Casas. I'll, I'll give him that. But the entire infield just froze and let the ball just bounce to home plate while Franco slid in there. Nobody tried to cut it off. That's one where Casas has to recognize what's going on, has to pay attention to what Franco's doing at third, and say, okay, I got to cut this off because we've got this guy caught. Like, Franco's got good speed, so he might have beat it anyway, but Casas could have cut that off and made a relay, and they might have had a shot at getting Franco at home plate. So I just think defensively, in you know, in the Detroit series, he had a couple of questionable plays, which we talked about. Like, he just, at times, like, defensively, he just doesn't seem all there. And it, it gives me, like, vibes of a guy who just isn't ready. And that's concerning. So... Look, it's April. It's twelve games. You know, Andrew brought up a good a good comp with Pedroia, right? Pedroia, when he first came up, was atrocious that April. He looked so bad, and everyone, I, I think, including me at the time, probably admittedly, was saying, "Get this guy out of here. This guy can't play. He can't hit." Um, but he turned it around. So I'm not like hitting the panic button on Casas, but he still hasn't delivered in the way that you need him to. And with so many people out and, you know, Yoshida was scratched the last couple of games. Like this is where Casas really needs to step up. And he's just kind of, eh, just kind of level right now. He's just playing mediocre. And then defensively at times he looks awful. So I, I hope it's just early season. I don't know if you call it jitters or you just call it like, an April slump and you know, maybe he's one of those guys that he goes the way the team's going. The team's not going well right now. So maybe he's trying to do too much up there and he's just not going well, but I I'm waiting for the Casas explosion. I'm, I'm waiting for him to really show like, Hey, I'm a real top prospect. I'm not just, you know, as I've called him at times, Lars Anderson 2.0, because I do still worry about that. Like, you know, it, is this guy really the real deal or do we just have an average player who, because he was drafted high, everyone's pumped up to be this, you know, savior or this next big bat of the franchise? Um, I hope not. I, I, I hope not. And I don't think so. I, like realistically, I think he is better than this. So bad series for him, a, a bad week for him in general, but I do think he can turn it around at some point. Is it possible that the club, I'm not going to say the clubhouse is bad because there it's brand new and there's, there's no indication that there's a bad clubhouse, but it, it is a pretty chaotic atmosphere right now. You know, the team's struggling. So Red Sox social media is a mess. Boston sports radio is a mess. There's a lot of noise right now is what I'm saying. So I just feel like if he were on most other teams, He's probably a little more relaxed, a little bit more locked in. And right now it's just, it's nothing but chaos right now. So I have to think that's, that's also playing a little bit of a factor here. 
I mean, look at what Franchier Cordero is doing in New York. You know, guys aren't calling for him to be strung up in the middle of the town. And, you know, he's actually hitting. Boston sports media is going to find crap with anything. I mean, hell, they've been crapping on the Bruins who are better than any team in the history of that freaking sport. So uh, there's going to be some manufactured drama. Hopefully he ignores it. It seems like the kind of guy that could probably brush it off, but obviously he's human as well. So I don't know. I think it's dumb to get on a 23-year-old too hard right now, 100 at-bats into his career. Yeah, it's impossible to tell, right, how how he's dealing with Boston and and Boston media and and the noise surrounding the team because he really hasn't said anything. Um, I think he's just kind of carried about his own way and, you know, good for him. Like, I do give him credit for this. Like, he's still painting his nails and, you know, (laughs) posting pictures of that on Twitter. And, like, I I know that, like, the sunbathing isn't really happening, especially in a closed dome. But, you know, I think that Casas strikes me as a guy who's, like, he's just going to go about his routine. And I don't think noise bothers him too much now you know that said if next week in the post game scrum or whatever if he says something stupid to the media or he voices frustration then i'll kind of go okay maybe you're not cut out for here maybe it's you know maybe this isn't the market for you to terry's point right like maybe you do belong in a smaller market like you know a cincinnati or, or something like that where the media is not crawling up your backside every five minutes because in Boston, they will. And even though the Bruins and Celtics are heading for the playoffs and, you know, as everyone says, football is king here in, in New England right now, the Red Sox, you're still going to get attention. You're still going to have Shaughnessy creeping around those locker rooms. Pete Abe's still going to do his thing. So I hope it doesn't affect him because I do want Casas to grow and develop and succeed. But we'll see. We'll see, you know, in terms of how he handles it the rest of the way. Just to be clear, I mean, I'm not too worried about him long term, but I mean, just the present circumstances, I just think are extremely, you know, not beneficial to him. And, you know, he'll figure it out. I mean, he shouldn't be under any pressure. Like I said, who's taking his spot? Are they going to let Dahlbeck do it? Who's already down to, I won't even get into that. It's only been a handful of at-bats, but... Dollback's going to be Dollback, and there's just really no, no other options, really. Yeah, yeah. It's not like Daniel Palka is about to come and uh, take his <laughs> job, so <laughs> I think he's okay. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, we'll move on to number two on our list. And Andrew, what do we got? So I think we decided on core for this one, and you know, there's been some debates on whether he's been taking guys out early uh too early like today with uh Kluber going you know to a reliever with low at bat when he kind of handled him earlier and you know that kind of backfired immediately but you know that's just one of those second guess situations but that there's definitely been rumblings on you know, how he's been using the bullpen when he's been going to the bullpen especially when Corey Kluber starts and then the uh Yu Chang bunt the other night, which I think people are split down the middle, whether it was called for or if Chang did it on its own. So he's had some issues this season with, you know, how people are viewing him and his job performance. I don't think he's on the hot seat. I've seen some tweets, but it's fair to judge how things are going when, you know, you are in a little bit of a slide. 
Terry. <laughs> I think there's a good chance he could be out of here by mid-May, I would say. And if it were sooner, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, if they come home this weekend and it's not a good series, and spoiler alert, I'm not expecting it to be a good series. We'll be getting into that shortly. But there's going to be a lot of booze. I, I think that there's a potential for the Fenway crowd to be kind of hostile this weekend. And if Heimblum is sitting up in the owner's box and perhaps John Henry, Tom Warner are there, it's going to be very uncomfortable. And it's going to be in their minds. Does, does a move need to be made? And perhaps they might not talk about it, but it's, it's going to be a thought at the very least. And you look at the team right now coming into today, we are in last place. We are ranked 30th out of 30 teams in defensive runs saved terrible defensively. And I think only uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's only the Oakland A's have more errors uh, than the Red Sox. This, this is a pathetic team. And I put out a, a tweet yesterday, just simply asking, because th there still is a, a base of Cora diehards out there that will defend him no matter what. And I asked what makes this guy phenomenal because we don't bunt other than of course the, the weird one by Chang uh, the other night. Uh, we don't steal bases. Our defense, as I just uh, laid out has not improved. Sometimes we don't know how many outs there are. There's nothing dynamic about this team. We're not going to out small ball anybody. We're not going to out anything. Anybody. This team is basic as hell. And, and I haven't looked at all the other categories, but I'm pretty sure it's not pretty. And last year's clubhouse still turned to crap under Alex Cora's leadership. It was a bad clubhouse. I don't know. I don't know why Alex Cora is make or break. I, I don't know why there would be any reservations whatsoever to, to move on from him. You, you've got your bench coach, Ramon Vasquez, if you want a fresh voice. You got Jason Veritek, if you want the popular choice. You could always go external. That doesn't hardly ever happen. But if you want to go outside the box, you can do it. I don't I don't know why. I don't I just don't know why Alex Cora really needs to be here anymore. I haven't seen anything this season that that would help you know, change the narrative from the last couple on Alex Cora. So that's my rant. Yeah. Admittedly, I have very mixed feelings on Alex Cora because on the one hand, I'm not sitting here being the drum to fire him. Um, I said it last week and, and I'll say it again this week. There's a lot of bad managers out there and I don't want the Red Sox to, uh, act, you know, do a knee-jerk reaction of just, hey, let's just fire the manager and see if we can get a spark that way. Because I do think Alex Cora is a good manager. I don't think he's great, though. And I think this is sort of the narrative that has gone a little out of control, is that because he came here in 2018 and that team won, you know, all of a sudden, oh, Alex Cora is this, you know, can't-miss generational manager. It's not true. It, like, it's really not. He's good. He's fine. 
but he's not over the top. Like he's not a difference maker. Right. So his whole thing when he came here was, well, he's really good at getting through the players, right? He's really good at connecting with the players, obviously being a former player himself, yada, yada. Right. But as Terry just mentioned, the clubhouse fell apart last year. That clubhouse was a disaster. I mean, you had, you know, we, we saw the reports of, you know, the veterans who, <clears throat> J.D. Martinez, Nathan Avaldi, who didn't like that Tristan Casas was sunbathing before games and stuff like that. Um, you're seeing now, you know, comments from Xander Bogars coming out after the fact about how, you know, everything that went down towards the end of the season, including his contract negotiations, blah, 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 right? So for a guy who's supposed to get through to the players, he did kind of lose the locker room last year. And this year, I'm sorry, I just some of the decision making, like it's he's so scared to death of letting Corey Kluber, a you know, a Cy Young caliber guy who has been around the league for God knows how long, he's scared to death of letting him work himself out of a problem or go to like the sixth, seventh inning. It's like he he's he's handling him with kid gloves. And I get it, Kluber's older and he was hurt a lot last year, but like today, there was really no reason to pull him. You could have kept him in there and, and just let Kluber, the veteran, work it out. But instead, Cora hit the panic button, went to the bullpen, went to Blyer, who I don't think is any great shakes, and look what happened. <laughs> Rays put up a five-run inning or whatever. You know, just completely took the game away from him. And then stuff like the Yu Chang bunt, where you know that Andrew mentions like. After the game, Cora said, oh, well, he was bunting for a base hit. Was he? Because as far as I'm concerned, Yu Chang is not Juan Pierre. He's not Ricky Henderson. He's not the kind of guy who can lay down a bunt and beat it out to first base. And it was also a terrible bunt. So to me, that was Cora covering his own ass because I think Cora called for a sacrificial bunt down two runs with nobody out and a runner on base in the ninth inning. And I think after the game, he realized, oh, that was a bad decision. And that cost that might have cost me the game. So I, I said it last week. I, like he's, It feels like he's chasing it. It feels like every game he's just chasing the score. And he's getting outmanaged. And he just hasn't been good. And I don't know if it's because he's still kind of figuring out what exactly he has in this roster and in this lineup with, you know, Guys getting hurt every other day. You know, he had Yoshida was out the last two games. So that kind of, he had to scramble a little bit because you got to plug and play guys that you wouldn't necessarily want to because you can't put them on the IL. You can't call anybody up. So I don't know if that screwed him up or if it's just maybe the, the magic dust is rubbing off a little bit. Maybe Alex Cora is not Terry Francona 2.0. Maybe he's just a good, not great manager who, who happened to you know manage one of the best rosters that we've seen come through here in 2018, and maybe he's just kind of a 500 guy apart from that. I don't know, but he's not going to get fired. You know, they they picked up his option. He's here through 2024. I'd be shocked if they fired him this year, unless things get you know. I think you'd have to have like a chicken and beer type of clubhouse thing for him to get fired this year. But I'm. I'm iffy on core. I'm on the fence. I'm not down on him, but I'm also kind of going, 
let's go, Alex. Like you got to pick this up a little bit because your team's well under 500. You just had an awful series in Tampa home now. Like, let's go. Let, let's see some changes here because right now it hasn't been good enough. Uh, one, Any other? Yeah, just one thing. I, I, I wasn't really in favor of bringing him back. He was kind of at the bottom of my list as far as that goes. But, and I don't talk about his past controversies, you know, with the Astros, probably the biggest scandal in the history of baseball. Um, but some people will say he hasn't been good since he got caught cheating. And I, it, it resonates a little bit with me. It's fair. It's it's all fair at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So can't can't forget the cheating scandal as well. Um, so we'll see what happens with Cora. But for right now, let's move on to the number one reason on the list for this series. So Terry, who's taking the number one honors this week? That would be Christopher Sale. I would put his middle name in there, but I don't know it. Um, I'm just coming out with it right now. His career is over. I've seen enough. He's not going to figure it out. Um, you know, Detroit wasn't bad, but everybody pitched well against Detroit. They're just a, still, a you know, the one team that's probably more pathetic than us. But he's missing bad. He's missing really bad. As I've said previously, he's not a step or two ahead of the guys in the batter's box. They're a step or two ahead of him. And he just gets slapped around. And I mean, I put out there, I thought he was going to get bounced in the second inning and he gives up three in the first inning. So I'm like, okay, here we go. We're on track. And, um, you know, he, he kind of grinded for a couple more innings, but slapped for seven hits, still gave up a couple walks. Struck out six, but the dude has lost it. And every time out, he's no closer to figuring it out. No closer to figuring it out. Good lineups are just going to tattoo him. And I think the Red Sox are going to have a tough decision to make in June or July when he's an automatic loss every time out. We're, we're just going to go through it every fifth day. And he's been fortunate to have some amazing run support. They came up a little short. Devers, his only hit of the series was a three-run bomb to, to get us within a run at the time. But he's cooked. And uh, I, I don't expect he'll be on the roster by the end of the year. Andrew? His command is just... It's gone right now. And, you know, that could be one of the last things to come back after you get Tommy John. And unfortunately, he really didn't get a chance to get that back last year after he got drilled in his second start. So his the stuff has actually played pretty well. Still has a really good whiff percentage, good K percentage. Everything else has just been bad. He's missing his spots horrendously. You know, something on the paints going middle-middle. And... I don't care if you're Aroldis Chapman in, what, 2012 when he's throwing 106. That's going over the fence, especially against a team like the Rays or, hell, any team in this division. So unless he gets his command back, this is going to be an issue. I, I can't see them ever getting rid of him. I mean, if you're going to 
be paying the money, you might as well cross your fingers because what else are you going to do? I mean, would you rather roll out, you know, Chris Murphy instead of Chris Sale or something like that? I just, I don't see any way that he doesn't finish his career here unless, well, finish his uh, current contract out um, unless you attach a prospect. But, you know, that's kind of what they've had to do with all these horrific long-term deals that the last couple or uh, yeah, front offices have just crushed us with. Um, you kind of just have to cross your fingers and pray that he gets it back. And maybe it snaps on overnight. Maybe it takes 10 more starts. But for better or for worse, I think we're going to see him for, <laughs> God willing, health-wise, 30 more starts this season. And you just got to hope for the best. But, yeah, it's $25 million that you're not getting back. So it's sunk cost. It's a sunk cost, cost fallacy at this point. You've invested too much to, to give up. Yeah. Uh, Terry, you've said it about Chris Sale, I think, ever since I joined this podcast way back in 2019. Like it or not, you're stuck with him. You're stuck with Chris Sale because of that stupid contract extension. So I think, you know, I think Andrew hit it on the head. It's like you just got to cross your fingers and hope he figures it out because I don't think they can get rid of him. The the money's too big. You don't want that, you know, uh, weighing you down financially. You can't trade him. Maybe they tried in the winter and in the spring and probably everyone said, uh, no, thank you. We don't want the money. Um, so you can't do that. Can you move him to the bullpen? I'm not even sure that matters because like, like if he's missing his locations, if his command is off, he's not even a good reliever at that point. So it's not about the innings or the pitch count because he can go deep. He, he can pitch 90 to hundred pitches at this point. Like that's the one upside is that health wise, he's able to go in there for five, six innings you know, maybe even more if he's efficient and he's able to, you know, produce a whole start and not have to be taken out early for any health issues, but he's just getting lit up and the stuff isn't what it used to be. Obviously a lot of that has to do with injuries. A lot of it has to do with just his age. It's all catching up to him that the injuries, the age, you know, he was a guy who relied on velocity. I think a lot, early on in his career and doesn't have that same velocity. Now I know that he still can touch 95, 96 occasionally, but let's face it. He sits around 93 now. So that's not terrible. He's not Jamie Moyer, but he can't blow people away with the fastball up high anymore. Hitters aren't falling for it. it it's, it's something he got away with for years and hitters are like, no, no, we, we know your stick. We know that you're going to go for the fastball up and away, or you're going to go for the slider down and in. And he doesn't have command of the slider. He tries to throw it down and in, and it ends up going a little bit down and middle, and they crush it. So the, the command is a huge, huge issue. The velocity, it is what it is at this point. I think you're just stuck with him. You know, just what my advice to Red Sox fans is stop relying on this guy to become an ace again. He's not. He's he's going to be a fourth, fifth starter. He's left-handed Nick Pavetta at this point. Occasionally, can he give you a good start, and can you win a game with him? Absolutely, yeah. I still think that's possible. I don't think that he's completely cooked to the point where you got to DFA him. But is he going to lead your rotation? Is he going to make 
30 starts and get Cy Young votes this year? No, absolutely not. That's not who he is anymore. So unfortunately, you've ended up with you got regular Nick Pavetta and you now have left-handed Nick Pavetta. And this is why you have to hope that Whitlock and Bayo turn into something and that Corey Kluber can find his way because otherwise you got nothing left. You have no reinforcements coming. You don't have the next, you know, Shane McClanahan in your system that's ready to burst through and make his major league debut soon. You don't have that. Like you said, it's Chris Murphy. It's Walter. It's Brian Mata, who, as Terry mentioned earlier, uh, hasn't been off to a great start either. So for better or worse, you're stuck with Chris Sale in the current version that he is. You're not getting the old Chris Sale that, you know, can strike out 300 batters and get Cy Young votes. It's not happening. This is who he is now. This is what you're stuck with. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where, again, you look at the roster management and you look at the way this pitching staff was built. Did they build it with the expectation that Chris Sale was going to make 30 starts and be a Cy Young candidate or an all-star? Because if they did, they completely miscalculated. It's not who he is anymore. So hopefully he still gives you some good starts. Honestly, if he's if he gives you Nick Pavetta like numbers where he at least can win like 10 games and make close to 30 starts, I think at this point in his career, that's a win because you're not getting much better than that. Well, his ERA is over 11 right now, and he's had what? That was probably his third start. Um but an example, it's, it might be somewhat of a apples to oranges example, but you go back to 2018, when Henley Ramirez got DFA, that came out of nowhere. I mean, he wasn't that bad, but his numbers were trending downwards. And all they had was Mitch Moreland. And Steve Pierce hadn't been acquired for another month beyond Hanley's, uh, you know, release, basically. And Hanley was owed, he was getting $22 million for the year. I think sales getting about 30 I forget how they structured it, but he, he's 28 to 30 So, you know, not too far off with the money. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty about Hanley's option as well, which was also for $22 million. The Red Sox, I, don't, I still don't know how they got out of that, but it, it was also for $22 million. Um, but they did it. They just, they just cut ties with him. And one of the, Alex Cora was the one that influenced Dombrowski in that uh, decision because Blake Swihart was going to be the odd man out. But Cora said that Hanley just isn't going to fit well on the bench and it doesn't fit his personality. And with Chris Sale, the bullpen at this stage in his career doesn't suit his personality either. You know, he was like, a Greek God for six straight years in a rotation and put up, I think insane strikeout numbers. He might've led, you know, all of major league baseball that decade in, in strikeouts. And I just feel like, it, you know, if it's an automatic loss every time, I just, I, I think they, I wouldn't be shocked, I guess. I, I'm the least shocked of anyone, uh, you know, tonight. Anyway, that, so that 2018 though, team was a wagon, though. You know what I mean? The, this one, 
you know, you gotta, you kind of just gotta hope. You know, losing Hanley was nothing. Like you could have told uh, revisionist history. You could be like, was Hanley Ramirez on the 2018 Red Sox? You'd be like, no, nah, you didn't even start the season. But you know, I mean, they they could afford to lose him, that lose that personality. It's $27 million next year, too. That's that's what's like. If it was just this year, they might just be like, screw it, dude. Like, we don't even care at this point. But the fact that it's almost $30 million for next season, that pill to swallow, like, this is the reason we're not seeing them invest another nine figure deal in a starter. They got, they've gotten burned like horrendously. It's like getting bit by a dog. Like, Five different times. You're probably not going to pet the sixth one you see. So David Price crushed him. You know, they won the World Series. Yeah, that's great. Chris Hale destroyed them. Hell, even going back, that lackey deal was pretty terrible until the 2013 year where he put it together in the playoffs. It, they have not had a lot of good long-term free agent deals pretty much at any position. So I understand why they've been hesitant to reinvest or not reinvest, but dole out these ridiculous contracts because they haven't worked out. Well, with David price, I mean, the Red Sox doing the math off the top of my head had to eat $48 million of his deal. And I, I get that there were other parts in that, you know, um, we had to get under the luxury tax. It was part of the Mookie trade, but we're used to dead money. That's nothing new to us. You know, it, we had to live with the remainder of Hanley's deal. We paid Pablo for, I think, three years. That was 60 That's million gonna bucks. That's going to piss you off as an, as an owner, though, right? Like, you're just losing all this money that could be re reinvested elsewhere. I that That's just not – that's a terrible business approach to be writing these contracts and literally – shoveling money into a furnace. Uh, well, and that's why you could criticize Henry too, because he's the one who signs the checks. So, I mean, yeah, like the GM can want to extend Chris sale, but John Henry's got to give him a stamp of approval. So, and he did, which I think, you know, many people would have said, uh, don't do that. But beyond the money, I also wonder like, and I don't think any of us would consider him, a clubhouse leader, but if Chris Sale is considered a clubhouse leader, if he's up there with, you know, Kike in terms Lavender of Poppy, yeah, in terms of vocal leaders, if you DFA him, especially this early, or even if you do it in June, like, does that do you lose the clubhouse? Does does everyone else go? Okay, well, geez, they're just gonna let this guy go because what he had a couple of bad starts. All right, well, screw it, I'm I'm gonna tap out. You know, especially a guy like Kike, who you know, like. He's, he's on a short contract, and guys like Duvall are here on a one-year deal. Turner's on a short contract. Like, where if they just go, wow, so a veteran struggles and they're just going to DFA him? This is the way it is in Boston? Screw this. And we've, we talked about it with Alex Cora. Like, I don't think Cora can keep the clubhouse together after that. So I wonder if it's partially the money, partially, like Andrew said, keeping your fingers crossed that he figures it out, but also partially that, like, we can't DFA this guy because the clubhouse will just revolt and we'll just have the Bobby Valentine year all over again. And we can't afford to have that. Devil's advocate real quick. I mean, Chris sale can be quite the distraction behind the scenes though. I mean, he breaks TVs, he shreds jerseys. 
the fact that he he's probably not in a good mood when he's sucking. So I just feel like, you know, maybe they could be looking at it as well. It's also kind of a distraction we're taking away as well. I, I'm telling you guys, don't keep an open mind at the very least. Oh, I got you. Yeah. But I, I will say, too, a lot of guys like that. There's a lot of athletes who like that sort of, you know, the guy who breaks TVs when he's struggling. Like there's a lot of hardo athletes out there that go, yeah, you know what? That's that's my leader. Yeah, he's willing to smash the TV when he's not playing well. I want to get behind that guy. It's it's weird, but like there are a lot of athletes like that. I don't know if on the Red Sox that's the case, but you know where you see a distraction, there's other guys who see inspiration. Is all I'm saying. So maybe that's part of the equation. Um, so with that being said, speaking of Chris Sale, he will be pitching. In this upcoming series, he's got a little bit of a daunting matchup. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But let's start with tomorrow's matchup. So the Angels are coming into town. The Red Sox are back at home for a four-game set with the Angels. Um, We've actually been off to a good start, 7-5 and so far. So they're actually looking pretty good. Uh, Our friend Charlie will be pleased. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Friday night is the uh, the first game, 7-10 start. We've got Tanner Houck on the mound for the Red Sox going up against Patrick Sandoval, who is off to a great start. So, Andrew, uh, what do we look like for Friday night's game? I like it for the Red Sox. I think they're going to come back a little piss and vinegar. Um, I think Houck's looked pretty decent so far. Um, as long as he can make it through the lineup twice – and, you know, they can go to Winkowski, who's been great, by the way, for two innings and then get, I don't know who's going to fill in after that. We're going to figure that one out. But uh, and then get to Canley in the in the ninth. I, I like our chances tomorrow. I think the team's going to show you something that, you know, they haven't seen. Maybe get some frustrations out. Terry, who you got? I am going to take the Anaheim Angels. I know Hauk's been on uh, a pretty decent stretch here, certainly better than I thought he would be based on the spring training that he had. But I just feel like with Sandoval on the mound, you're going to have Chang most likely in the lineup. You're going to have Russ Snyder. You're probably going to have Dahlbeck in there. I just like the Angels offense better. I I think it's it's a close matchup with the pitchers, but... I'm going to take the steady offense uh, of the Angels to take game one. I actually like the Red Sox in this one. Um, I, I'm a big Tanner Houck guy. I think that he's trying to make his way into the starting rotation, whether I agree with it or not. Um, Sandoval's off to a good start, but he's a big pitch-to-contact guy, not a big strikeout guy. And presumably Yoshida will be back for this game. Um, I know it's lefty on lefty, but I still think core will get him in there. Um, so that I think that will help the lineup as well because, you know, you won't have as much plug and play going on. Um, I think the Red Sox can touch him up, you know, and, and I think that they hopefully will come back angry, pissed off, you know, Friday night at Fenway, you know, ready to kind of seek some redemption a little bit. So I'm hoping they bring the bats and even if Hauk struggles a little bit, I think the Red Sox can put up enough runs. So I'll take the Red Sox in that matchup. Um, so that'll bring us to Saturday's game. That's a 4-10 start. 
And we've got Nick Pavetta going for the Red Sox against Tyler Anderson, one of the big free agent acquisitions by the Angels. So, Terry, who you got in that one? I will be driving home, but I'll be in the passenger seat for this. I'll make sure of it. That way I can watch it on my MLB app. But um, I'm going to take Pavetta in this one. This is the one matchup that uh, I definitely... I think Pavetta will rise to the occasion. Uh, you know, we've seen him do it uh, in big games previously. And usually when he's hot, he stays hot for, you know, at least six or eight starts. So um, the bats are going to have to do some damage. It's it's another lefty. We're going to have a bunch of guys in the lineup I don't like. But if Pavetta, Pavetta can hold them to... Uh, you know, maybe two, three runs, I think we'll have a shot. And maybe, just maybe, Kenley Jansen will have a chance to close out a game. It just it hasn't been many of those for him. Nice. Andrew? I think this is going to be an ugly one. Uh, well, high scoring, let's put it that way. I, I hate Tyler Anderson. I, I thought that was one of the dumbest things that any team did in the offseason was give him that contract maybe 0.01 seconds into free agency. Uh, They couldn't get that signed fast enough. They gave up a draft pick for him. I thought it was kind of ridiculous. I think this will be high scoring. Unfortunately, I do think Pavetta might get knocked around a little bit. The Angels are going to be a little more rested. They're coming, you know, they're flying across the country. So that's why I kind of gave, I gave them the Friday game, the Red Sox, the Friday game. So I think the Angels bats wake up. I think the Red Sox probably do too. But, yeah, I think the Angels come out on top. I'm actually going to take the Red Sox in this one as well. Um, I like the way Pavetta looked the other night, and I think Pavetta's got a little fire under his ass. Um, I think he kind of sees what's going on with the Red Sox pitching depth and the rotation. He was labeled as the odd man out like early on in spring training and as a guy who wasn't going to keep his job and, oh, you know, If there's got to be a guy to go, it's going to be Pavetta. And now he's seeing like injuries. He's seeing Chris Sale getting lit up. He's seeing Whitlock struggle. Paxson and Bayo are still not there yet. I think that he he's the kind of guy that like he just has that little bit of psycho in him. And I mean that in a good way. Like he's got that little bit of, you know what, F all of you. I'm going to just take my job. I'm going to take my job back. I'm going to stay in this rotation and you can't force me out of it. So he pitched really well against Tampa. Um, I think he's going to have another good start against the Angels. I don't love their lineup. I know that they've been off to a good start, but I still don't love it. And I, I don't think Tyler Anderson's all that good, quite honestly. I agree with Andrew. That was <laughs> The Angels um, tried to win free agency a little too early, I think, by signing him. So I don't think he's any great shakes. I actually think this will be a close game. I don't think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be like a – four to two kind of thing where Red Sox jump on Anderson early. Pavetta holds it down for the most part, maybe gives you seven innings. Red Sox don't have to use much of their bullpen and it's Schreiber and Jansen closing it out. So I'll take the Red Sox. Um, So that is Saturday's game. Sunday, we've got the typical 130 start on Sunday and we've got Garrett Whitlock for the Red Sox going up against Reed Detmers for the Angels. Andrew, who do you like in that one? Like the Red Sox, I think they got to be patient with Detmers. I think they can get to him. Uh, 
I really think that this is a series split for, for Boston and I'm not too sure how I want to lean Monday. There's a couple different factors for me on that. Um, but yeah, I really think Whitlock will show you a little bit more second start. Just got to be careful with Otani. I think that's the one guy that could get him. I think he can pitch around trout. I really, the angels they're doing well this season. They're, they don't impress me too much. I don't know. There's something about Whitlock against this this team that I think he's going to bring it. Terry? I will take the Anaheim Angels in the third game with Whitlock on the mound. Um, Again, I I just feel like I don't trust Whitlock in the moment. I, I just don't. And when you have guys you know, a couple of Hall of Famers like Shohei Otani, Mike Trout in that lineup, I think they can probably get in Whitlock's head a little bit. Gio Urshela hitting 341 on the season with a 370 OBP. Hunter Renfro, not a guy. Uh, he's probably a guy that, that'll get into Whitlock's head as well. Uh, having a great start to the year, uh, hitting just under 300 with a OBP just over 400. Um, wish we could get a guy like that. But I, I just feel like... I feel like they're going to go to town on Whitlock, and uh, I got the Angels in that one. Yeah, I'm going to take the Angels as well. I think Reed Detmers is disgusting. I think he's really good. Um, you know, he, he's had an up-and-down start to his year, but look, I voiced my concerns about Whitlock earlier in this episode. I don't believe in him as a starter. I hope he proves me wrong, but I don't think he will. I think Reed Detmers is going to outduel him, and... Yeah, the Angels lineup, like I said, I don't love it, but I just think Detmers is going to be able to shut down the Red Sox enough. I also predict Cora doing something stupid in this game. Like, they got the marathon game the next morning. I could see Devers getting a day off again for no reason, or Yoshida getting a day off, or Verdugo, something like that. Like, he's going to bench some guys because he's going to do the Alex Cora thing of benching guys when he doesn't have to. So I think that's going to come as well. And I just think Red, Reed Detmers is going to shut that lineup down. So I'll take the Angels. Uh, so for the series finale, one of the best days here in Boston, Marathon Monday. Um, going to be an awesome day with you know Bruins' first playoff game happening that night as well. The marathon obviously taking place that morning. But 11-10 start for this one in the morning. So grab your coffee, get ready. Shohei Otani versus Chris Sale. Probably a matchup that years ago we would have fawned over. I don't know if we're necessarily fawning over it both ways this this time. But, uh, Terry, who do you got on Marathon Monday? You know, it's ironic because Chris Sale is going to be facing the guy opposite of him that, that he used to be, in a way. I mean, Chris Sale wasn't a unicorn. But in terms of presence, Chris Sale was the man, and he owned that mound. And now it's, it's a different guy. You know, it's, it's Shohei Otani, you know, arguably the best player in major league baseball. And, and at this point in Chris sales career, he's a shell of himself. And, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's in Chris sales head, but I'm not going to pick Chris sale to win a single start this season because he just looks so bad. It's an automatic loss. And, 
I think the the Angels are going to have a little bit of momentum going into this game, uh, you know, from the uh, previous three games, and I think it's going to be a blowout for the Angels. Andrew? I hope we get a report uh, if Hunter Renfro packs his locker up before the series ends like he did the last time he was in Fenway when he quit on the team. But uh, that aside... I had this as an automatic loss for the Red Sox, but then I saw, did see that same report that you talked about that the Bruins series is probably going to start that night. People are going to be really drunk. I think there's going to be a buzz. The tickets aren't bad. They're like 42 bucks to get in on SeatGeek. I said that to my friends back east earlier. So, I mean, worth the cost of admission to go see Otani. But back to the you know main thing. I think the Yoshida versus Otani storylines very exciting they've only had four matchups before i couldn't find out what those uh you know stats were uh head to head but i'm excited for it i think it's gonna be a good game um i think sale probably has a crap first inning again settles down i do think the angels win i can't have the red Sox winning this series but as long as they split honestly not the worst thing in the world uh just gotta get through this crap stretch get some of these uh, players back on track. I'm excited to watch Tristan Casas as well uh, face Otani. I think it's going to be a very good, uh, you know, litmus test for you know, facing these guys for him. Yeah, this Marathon Monday is appointment TV, as we like to say. It, it is, you can't miss this game. Um, it's also really hard for me to pick against the Red Sox on Marathon Monday especially like Andrew said, with the Bruins playing that night, Boston is going to be just like on the edge of its seat all day. Like from the, the moment they wake up all through the night, um, if you do have the chance to go to Fenway, you absolutely should. Like if, if you don't have to work or you can get the day off, go get those tickets. The weather's not going to be terrible. It might rain a little bit. I don't know. Shouldn't be too bad. That being said, I do have to pick against the Red Sox because Otani's just gross. He's just off to a gross start, and Chris Sale is off to an awful start. And I think Otani's going to, for lack of a better term, S-pump the Red Sox. And I do – I agree. I'm I'm curious to see him against Yoshida. Hopefully Cora actually lets him play and doesn't rest him for some stupid reason. But I am curious to see Otani against, like, Yoshida, Casas, some of those guys, I just think he's going to blow them away. I think Otani's the best player in baseball. He's the face of the game, and I think Chris Sale's going to have a real hard time. I just I don't see him getting out of the third inning of this game. So I think the Angels will take that one. I got the Angels and Red Sox splitting the series, which honestly, if they can split at this point, we'll take it because I'd rather that than a four-game sweep again. So, um that's the final word on that. Any final thoughts on the Red Sox Angel series? It's going to be really awkward if Hunter Renfro gets a standing ovation. <laughs> he shouldn't. <laughs> he sucked in the playoffs. He packed his bags before the season ended. Like, he quit on that team. I get, like, everyone still is into the he benches 525 for reps hype machine that it is, but – there's a reason the Padres let him go, then the Rays let him go, then the Red Sox let him go, then the Brewers let him go, and the beat goes on. I don't 
if any team would would have kept him, I mean, shit, the Red Sox drafted him out of high school and he didn't sign. They've always wanted him. So I don't know. I the last thing I'll say is I hope the eleven ten start really screws with the uh, West Coast team. I kind of didn't think about that till now. Kind of unfair to them, but I don't care. <laughs> ah, screw them. They're the Angels. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't think Renfro will get a stand. I think he'll get a few, like, you know, complimentary claps, whatever. But, yeah, like I, I saw it, Charlie in our, our chat, you know, posted Andrew McCutcheon getting a standing go. His first game back at Pittsburgh, it's like, would Mookie get this? I'm like, I wouldn't give a standing O to Mookie. Like, no, we got to stop giving standing ovations to just any former player that wore, that wore the jersey. Mookie was here for five years. Renfro was here for five minutes. Like, I, no, I don't think we'll get a standing O. I would give a standing O to Otani. Like, if Otani goes out there and dominates, I honestly, I, yeah, I, I'd give him a standing O because he is the face of baseball and that guy's growing the game. Like so much, it's ridiculous. So we'll see what happens. I do hope the Red Sox split. I hope that I'm right and that they at least take two games out of the series because the Angels are off to a good start. It's not going to be easy. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, after that, the weekend crew will be back with you. So that they'll record on Monday night. So you guys will have them on Tuesday for your Tuesday commute next week. So keep the lookout for that. Uh, we'll be back with you next week at some point, and we'll be covering uh, the next series after that, which I believe is the Twins. So we got the Minnesota series after the Angels, so that'll be an interesting one as well. We get to see our old friend Carlos Correa in uh, a Twins uniform again, so that'll be a lot of fun. So Christian Vasquez will get a standing ovation. Oh, oh Vasquez, yeah, he that he's yeah. for like ten years. He he can get one. Yeah, I think Vasquez deserves it. Yeah, that would be fair. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see. But, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys then. So until you guys see the weekend crew on Tuesday, uh, we will see you later. Take care.